This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the Human Animal Connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the Human Animal Connection. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show. I'm your host, Michael Overly, and I'm with Jeannie Joseph. Jeannie, thank you so much. Yeah, it's so good to be here. And this episode is all about coming to your senses and how we can awaken our sensory intelligence. You know, I've had people say that to me before. Well, you just come to your senses, but I didn't know what they meant. <laughs> I know. It's like, well, how? What do you mean? Where's the, how do you come to your senses? <laughs> Well, that's what the human-animal connection philosophy is all about. We have 33 principles, and this one is about coming to your senses, and we help people understand why that's useful to them and how to do it. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Well, well help me. Help me come to my okay. senses. Okay. Um, what can we learn from how animals use their senses and their sense of safety? Yeah, well, this is one of the ways animals will dis- will experience the world as either safe or unsafe and degrees of safety or degrees of unsafety. So it's not like all or nothing, but they do that in an instant using their senses and each animal has different sensory structures. So they're going to use it a little bit differently. Like a goldfish is going to experience the world differently from an elephant, but they're all using the sensory systems that they have. Um, The German word for that is the umwelt, which is how they perceive the world through their senses and it defines the world. So as humans, we have senses just like animals, of course, but in our society, we have, given more power or more attention to our thinking rather than to our sensing. And thinking is a very good thing. I had a mother with dementia, so believe me, I know how important executive functioning thinking is. But I also know that it's important as humans that we don't divorce ourselves entirely from our sensing nature, our ability to sense and feel and experience directly. So literally with the five senses we think about, sight, sound, touch, sight, hearing, what did I leave out? But taste, right? (laughs) Um, But in addition, we have... Uh, other senses that combine those and the ability to feel, for example, the energy around our body, the ability to feel when someone's staring at us, you know, that sensation you turn around and somebody's staring at you. Do you know what I mean? So what sense is that? The proprioceptive sense is the sense of space around your body or the sense of whether you're upright or not upright. So there are a lot of senses that we don't think about as much as the common five senses. But the fact is the sensory world is all about being present. It's all about being right here, right now, in this experience. And thinking is all about what might happen or what did happen and other time frames, past and future, more than present. But the sensory world leads us into what is here right now. What is the sky doing right now? What is that cloud doing? And that brings us into this moment. So it's very pleasurable to be in our senses. Now, that doesn't mean it's always pleasurable because we can have pain, we can have other experiences. But for the most part, if we are here right now with a sensation, we're going to feel a little bit calmer, a little bit more peaceful. We know that a lot of animals, um, especially from rescue situations or shelters, have trouble with trust. Yeah. Right? 
So, I mean, as humans, we do too, right? We have trouble in relationships because we have trouble with trust. Maybe it's mm-hmm. of ourselves or our environment. So, what happens when we stop trusting our senses? Yeah. So, what ha- that happens uh, for a lot of us, if, especially if we've had sensory overload or we've had too much pain or too much trauma, the first thing to do is, you know, we would jump out of our senses and jump into our heads because we think that's going to be safer to logic ourselves out of discomfort. But unfortunately, logic um, has a place, but it, it is not the pathway back to pleasure. So, logic, very, very important whenever you're doing your taxes or you're having to pay your bills, we need that. But we also need to spend some time each day being present in the senses. And when we have an animal that's not trusting, the first thing I want to do, if I'm working with a shelter animal that's got trust issues or somebody rescued an animal that's got trust issues, I want to show them how to help the animal get back to their nose first. So what happens with a reactive dog, often they have their eyes or their ears getting more data than their nose because their nose would tell them pretty much everything's okay. Not always, but, you know, would give them good data. <laughs> but if they are looking at something and hearing something and reacting to it, the the nose is not in first place. So we need to get them back to their nose. So if you've got a, a dog on a, you know, a reactive dog and you're taking a walk, one of the things you want to do is have some stinky treats in your pocket or your pouch, right? So that you can, um, you say, okay, you see that the dog got triggered by something across the street or across the way. You can ask that dog to sit and to focus on you, get eye contact on you, break that stare of that dog that's barking over there and going crazy. And we want to offer them a stinky treat. And we're going to give it to them very slowly because the slowness builds anticipation, which is the opposite of fear. Mm. So that's something that we want to help that dog um, reconnect with their trust with us, their sense of connection to us. And that begins to be the predominant. One of the great things about dogs is they have the ability to fully focus on one thing. (laughs) Unlike us, we're almost always split. We're doing two things at once. We're on the phone and cooking dinner or on the computer and doing, you know, just we're always split. But the dog can really put all of their senses on one thing, but you need to be able to regain connection with them. So if that other dog across the street is pulling on their attention, we need something stinky and delicious to help them come back to a settled place. <laughs> so the stinkiest treat possible, bacon and and turkey and hot dogs. And it can be just a, you know, a size of your fingernail, pinky fingernail size piece of hot dog. It doesn't have to be a whole hot dog, but uh, especially if you're going on a walk, you can't give them like five hot dogs, right? <laughs> you right. have to give them just a tiny treat. But helping them get back to their nose, reorient to their nose, will help them manage the level of stimulation they're experiencing on that walk. That's fascinating. And I experienced this with Indigo, my dog. Mm-hmm. As soon as I started doing some scent work with her mm-hmm. yeah. and training her to keep her nose on the ground right. by hiding, hiding things in the yard for her to go find, um, and well, doing it, well, we started inside, right? And then we moved it outside to the yard and then we could take it out from there. But that calmed her so much more than anything else I had tried. Anything else. It is, it is, you know, that is getting her into her primary sense. When, when dogs have their nose first, they can handle a lot. They can handle a lot without getting over, over stimulated. And so that is, you did the perfect thing of getting her to 
pay more attention to her nose. Now, obviously, as a dog, she's not not paying attention to her nose, but we need to get her nose as her primary, get data from the nose first, and then see or hear. But if you notice when she's doing the scent work in the yard, if you call her, she might not respond. It's not that she's being rude or disobeying. It's just that her nose has got all of her attention. And that's a great thing. You know, we don't want to interrupt that process because that's really healthy for her to put all of her focus on her nose. It organizes her senses, as I say. Now, this is just my theory. I'm not a scientist, but this is what I've observed in working with shelter dogs. If I can, they get overamped by all the sounds and all the smells and things they can't control. They have no choice. They can't go towards that scent if they're interested or away from that scent if they're not. So they're overwhelmed. And what happens is they start shutting down their nose and paying more attention to their what they're hearing and what they're seeing people walking by. And that's where you get these shelter reactivity. And it happens to many, many dogs in shelters. After a certain amount of time in the shelter, if they didn't come in reactive, they're leaving reactive. You know, and shelters do the best they can, but they don't have the ability to keep dogs in a calm state of mind. So the senses is the same thing for us, is that as humans, there are some people, it's like all they need to do is just look at something beautiful, whether that be in nature, a tree, a bird, a river, whatever, go to the mountains, and they're happy. You know, it's just like, you know, all of a sudden, all of that other stuff, it's not, doesn't disappear, but it fades into a reasonable place, you know, like a level of stimulation, like a, a three or something, instead of a 10, which is when we're focusing it. So if you're predominantly a visually focused person um, and visual senses is your calming place, then looking at beauty will will instantly give you a lift. If you're an auditory, predominantly auditory, we all use all the senses, but if you're predominantly auditory, listening to music that you love will change your state. It will get you out of a stress state or out of an anxious state and into a calmer state. And if you're a touch person, you know, being hugged or giving a massage or getting a massage or doing anything physical with your body will give you that same benefit. And if you're a taste person, really savoring, you know, really tasting food you love and really uh, eating it in a reverent and slow way, preparing it in a reverent and slow and present way will reset your whole nervous system. So it's it's really, for humans, it's about really understanding the what is your best pathway back to sanity through the senses. And it might be a combination of things. Maybe you need sensing and hearing or seeing and smelling or touching and tasting or whatever your combination is, but you need to know for yourself what is your pathway back to presence and through the senses it you know it's still the end of winter here so um i I have a fire in my wood-burning stove almost Uh, every morning and i just just, i'm gone right it's it's like a meditation for me and it's it's so calming and soothing and i I back up to a a farm and so there's i have the only thing obstructing view is trees so i can see the foothills into the mountains beyond yeah. And I just stand there and stare for yes. periods of time. And, you know, physiologically, I just go, shh. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really important to understand your own, like, it's it's like a combination lock on a safe. Once you understand that, you can open it up by using your senses. And in, in somatic experiencing, they call that resourcing, you know, where you really focus on one particular sense at a time. And that can bring you into balance very, very quickly. It's interesting, and and everybody's a little different. Like I, one of the things that I find very calming might seem seem a little silly, but jigsaw puzzles. So jigsaw puzzles are about, you know, they start in chaos, all these pieces, and you sit there and take the time, and using the touch and 
the fitting of things and the color of things and really looking at the colors and seeing the different shades of blue, where things go and going from disorder to order in a jigsaw puzzle is for me very, very relaxing. I mean, I could, you know, it just gets me lots of, if, if I'm not clear about a big life decision, I'll do a puzzle to sort of get clear about that thing. And I'll dedicate that puzzle to that clarity. And then when the puzzle's done, I haven't been thinking about it, but all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, well, I should just do blank, you know, whatever it is. I, I know what I need to do. And I couldn't have done that through a thinking process. You know, like there were too many factors to think it would just like spin. Right. But if I just, turn it over to the puzzle, dedicate that puzzle to understanding, then I usually have the answer. <laughs> I love it. I, lo- I mean, that, that's, that's another form of meditation, right? It is. Just bringing, not attempting to shut things out, just b- but bringing our awareness to just what's right here, right now. Yeah. Well, in the human animal connection, we have all principle on that called the power of focus and the way the dog uses focus, like, oh my God, a toy or, oh my God, where's that scent, that chicken he hid in the yard? You know, all of the senses get focused, organized, coherent. It's like a coherent state. And all the other problems in the dog's world, the dog across the street or whatever, those are gone because all of the senses are focused on this one experience. So it's a soft focus. It's not necessarily the same kind of burnout focus like when you're on the computer or you're doing some work that can be kind of can burn you out. But this is a very gentle, soft focus. It's just cohering through the senses. And it's a coherent state of mind to use the heart math analogy. Wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. See, we are so connected to our animals. We have so many similarities. But we, we create the separation here, right? So what, mm-hmm. what works for me to help me calm also works with my dog, maybe in a different way, yeah. but we're, we're connected through that as well. Right. And you'll find that some dogs, um, additionally to their nose, you'll find things that all I have to do is look at my dog with my soft eyes and smiling and happy and, and that will calm my dog or cause Sophia, you know, and that that's tone of voice that she comes to know means you know, I love her. She's going to get a treat. You know? um, so for some, it might be the tone of voice. For others, it might be the touch. You know, give him a little scratch or a little, you know, pet or whatever. So every dog's a little different. Some might be playing with that favorite toy, just that you're giving them attention. Some might be that you're hiding treats in the yard and they get to do scent work and it has nothing to do with you. They forgot about you. I mean, you, you're not even in her world at that moment. She's just completely immersed. Where's that next scent? And it's fun for her. It's a great gift to give your dog an opportunity to focus on a sense that they enjoy. There's a word that I needed a little clarity on. So how can our senses connect to our own animality, animality? Animality, yeah. Animality. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not, I don't think you can find the word in the dictionary, so it's a made-up word. <laughs> our animality is what I call our animal nature. It is our ability to connect to our senses, to be grounded, to be focused, to be present through the senses. And one of the reasons, like being with horses, they're very, very ground, grounded. And so being with them is very, very grounding for us because they are really here. Do you know what I mean? And they're like uh, Native Americans who believe that you can hear through your feet. That's why they want to walk either barefoot or in moccasins. And one of those, one Native American who says that all of society fell apart when we invented rubber soles because we no longer had the connection to the earth. We used to have leather soles, 
you know, we used to have moccasins, animal skin, right? So we were still connected to the earth, even if we had something between our, our bare feet and, and the earth. So our animality is our sensory nature. It's our instant knowingness, the way a dog instantly knows, oh, I like this person. I don't like this person. I want to get close to this person. I don't want to get close to the person. They know their senses tell them. And yes, there's smell, absolutely, in that equation, but there's smell plus the plus is all their other senses, their, what I would call their intuitive, their, their perception, their ability to perceive this is a safe person. This is a loving person. This is a fun person. This is a person who might have a treat. <laughs> you know? I, I adopted a, a feral dog from the rescue and she was highly reactive to everybody and everything. And so one of the things I taught her was every time she met a new person, all she had to do was sit and look at me and I'd say, you know, okay, go say hi. And she'd get a treat. So then people became, oh, new person treat. So the mailman comes, she's happy because she knows she's going to get a treat. So it's it's just fun because she greets the mailman with, you know, cuddles and sweetness and the mailman makes the mailman stay and then she gets a treat. So it's just a, a fun little thing that we do. And uh, this is how we can use our own animality to feel more in our sensory nature. Yeah, there's a word, a German word called umwelt, which means how you perceive the world through your senses. So a goldfish has a goldfish umwelt and an elephant has an elephant umwelt. You know, we, we um, perceive through what we are willing to sense. And if we have our senses shut down, we don't get a full experience of the world. And one of the reasons, you know, you live in a beautiful place, when you go out in nature, you're just like filled with how it looks and how, it, you know, the quiet and, you know, all of these different sensory elements that bring you back into balance immediately. I love it. Yay! <laughs> hey, we're going to take a short break, so we'll be right back. Hey friends, if you like what you're hearing and want to learn more, check out Dr. Joseph's book, The Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves. Or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org, to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Human-Animal Connection. We were talking about animality and our senses and our animal nature. What are some of the ways you can connect fully to your senses? So we suggest in the Human-Animal Connection book, you can read this. We have a workbook in the book and we give people exercises for each principle. One of the things we talk about in this principle is to take one day, one week, one month, just focus on one sense. Like it could be your sense of smell or your sense of taste or your sense of touch or hearing or sight or uh, any your proprio, proprioceptive senses, which your your sense of your energy field around your body. So whichever one you want to do, but just putting all of your attention on just what you see or really listening to the sounds of nature, like the sound when there's no sound or the sound when there's music, but to put all of your attention on awakening that sense and to go through them all. Some senses, we all have senses that we use more and senses that we use less. Some people are more touchy-feely and as long as they're touching, they're happy. Other people like don't even think about touching. You know, it's not in their their daily experience. So whatever sense is your easy sense, you might start with that, but start with a set or go next to a sense that 
you have not given full attention to and see what that does to your world to just deliberately open your attention through sensing one sense at a time. Because when and it's all coming at us, it's like we don't even distinguish. It can be very overwhelming. And, you know, if we get, we're getting too much visual stimulation, it can be overwhelming, for example, for some people. You know, so you need to, those people need to have some time in darkness, you know, with a sleep mask or whatever, um, so that they get just a break from seeing or a break from hearing. If you're in a work in a crowded environment, you might need a break from auditory stimulation. Or if you work in situation that where there's too much human contact or animal contact, you might need no contact, you know? So what, what does it take to bring you into balance? What does it take to awaken these senses? And that's how we can experience more of our animal nature and come more into balance with ourselves. I am sensitive to auditory stimuli. Mm. So I love the peace and quiet. I get up at three 30 in the morning. Right? Yeah, yeah. Most people are like, why on earth would you do that? It's because it's quiet, right? Yes. The world is quiet. It's dark outside and my level of stimulation is low. As I mentioned before, I, I, I put on a fire in the winter and everything just softens. Yeah. Right. And I'm 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 more receptive, I'm more creative during yeah. those times. Um, but yeah, the audit the noises are what get me. And I'm, I'm exactly. super sensitive. Yeah. Yeah. So just understanding that is really the key to happiness because then you can make an adjustment like you do, which is to have that, make sure that you get that dose of quiet and that allows you to really function at full capacity. And when we have these workplaces that people, you know, where everybody's subjected to the same level of noise or the same level of stimulation or the same proximity of people being too close or whatever it is, um, it can be very one person might thrive in that noise and the next person is really going to suffer. So that's the one advantage of more people working from home. Not everybody can do that, obviously. But, you know, if you know that about yourself, you can make the adjustments that you need. If you're auditory reactive, I used to, I grew up in New York City. So it was a, you know, a, an invasion of the senses 24 seven. Too many things to look at, too many things to hear, too many things to smell, too much touch on the subway. You have no choice. You're in rush hour. You're getting touched by 10 strangers every, in every inch of your body. You know, So it's really overwhelming. And when you understand what your core system is, like you recognizing that need for auditory relaxation and having the focus of the fire, which again directs all of your visuals to one place, and that's a very coherent or peaceful experience. This is something else I need some clarification on and yeah. some understanding. So how does the language of touch improve our connection to our senses? So touch in our culture is really, we're really touch deprived. We're, you know, Western civilization is not very touch culture. And some people get touch in a primary relationship. Some people aren't in a relationship or some people are in a relationship where their partner is not as touchy as they are, like to touch as much as they are. And so, in general, as a culture, I'd say that we're touch deprived, but we can learn so much from touch. From touch, it's, you know, they're, they're, there's some horrible experiments done with infant monkeys where they separated them from their mothers and they gave them a choice of a, a wire monkey that gave milk or a terry cloth monkey that didn't give milk. And they would always choose the terry cloth monkey. They would starve and they would take touch over nutrition. So the most biological need for food, they would take the touch over that. So, and when they looked at um, babies in Romanian orphanages that weren't getting touch, they were developmentally damaged. You know, there are lots 
lots of aspects of their functioning mentally and emotionally were damaged through lack of touch. So touch is an extremely important thing. And unfortunately, a lot of people have had inappropriate touch or had bad experiences with touch. And so touch becomes something that they just say, not doing that, you know, they just uh, as a self-preservation. But the fact is that, and when I was working with soldiers, it was, you know, you can't go hugging the soldiers because you get fired, right? (laughs) But, you know, we really had to help them find ways to have touch. And one of the best ways was with the therapy dog, because they could touch the dog, the dog would touch them. And that was perfectly politically correct to touch a dog, love a dog, hug a dog, be the hug by a dog. So therapeutic. So touch is incredibly powerful for infants of all species and for adults of all species. We all need touch. And so we really work with that in the human animal connection, helping people reconnect with their sense of touch. And even, you know, even in just a non-sexual way, just touch as contact, pressure and release. We do, uh, we have a a whole class called Soothing Touch for Animals. I'm giving that talk on Monday, you know, and we do a demonstration with Sophia on a table and we show these different ways that you can touch because most people just like pet one way. They only do one thing like, uh, uh, you know, kind of on autopilot. And it's not necessarily that great for the dog to do that. But when you touch with presence, when you're really present and you're touching with intention, whether that be love or whatever else you're healing, whatever you decide that touch is for, it is transformative for you and the animal. And we talk about the difference between giving touch and taking touch. Taking touch is when you're doing something that's just for you, like you're petting the animal on autopilot, pet, 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 you know, not even being conscious. That's taking touch. Giving touch should feel as good to you as for the animal. It should be mutual. And that creates this energy flow to and from the receiver and the giver. And that's when it really gets expansive. That's when it's really delightful. It's amazing. I work with guys um, myself who are having trouble in other areas of their life. And we do an exercise with their dogs where they sit and pet their dog for 10 minutes mm-hmm. straight. Yeah. But it's it's not just this autopilot yeah, right, thing. Right, 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 right. It's running their hand slowly over their dog's body. Right? Yes, in in you know, in the armpits, down the legs, and, yes. and really, and pulling back the fur and looking at the fur. Yeah. Well, that's what their skin actually looks like. You know, really yeah. getting inquisitive. Yeah, and and the the calming effects and the bonding that's available from that is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I was just it it is beautiful. I was just working with this miniature horse yesterday. And this horse, we got into this thing that this horse loves. And I would basically, you can't see what I'm doing, but I would push one way with my hands and the horse would move against, like contra to my motion. And then I would go the other way and the horse would go the other way. We would get this like um, little dance going on where I'd be, you know, uh, moving my hands away from my body and the horse would move towards me and then the horse would move towards me and I move away. So we were in opposition, but very gentle. And this, this is what this particular, it's the only horse I've met that loved this. This was this thing with this horse. It was this little dance. Whenever I came near, he would position himself so he could get that touch, right? <laughs> you know, and all the fur would come off that needed to come off. And, you know, just really exquisite conversation when you're doing it the way you suggested, which is really conscious connecting through petting and touching. And then when people feel like they have a good mastery of that, we take it to another level. And then we go to touch without hands, so then we're working with energy touch. So that's the next step. <laughs> now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Yeah. So um, my dog, Sophia, is is a service dog and a therapy dog. And so she's allowed to go with me different places. And we went one day to the zoo. 
and they had a tiger there and you know tigers and zoos are not tigers are not happy being in zoos so this this tiger would pace and pace and pace and pace and you know just really just trying to manage the, its own stress and there was a glass case so you could sit right next to the tiger with the glass obviously in between us but Sophia and I sat and this tight we did this energy healing where I was touching the tiger without touch without my hands but using energy work and the tiger was fascinated and calmed down and sat right uh, against us on the glass for 20 minutes and was just fascinated and couldn't keep her eyes off of Sophia, but in a gentle way, not in a negative way. And it was very, very peaceful. It was very, very peaceful because you can't touch a zoo animal, but you can give them energy touch. You can give them energy healing. I automatically go to what was Sophia communicating with the tiger? Yes. I'm sure that there was a whole conversation that I wasn't yeah. privy to because it wasn't my conversation. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to listen. I was just doing the peaceful energy work. And I'm sure the tiger, I, th- I think there was a maternal feeling that the, the tiger thought that Sophia was a little thing that needed some maternal, you know, love um, calmly, but just enthralled, you know, and it was, and it was, I mean, anybody watching us, they were, people were riveted watching this, you know, they had never seen this and the zoo, the tiger was always pacing and this was very beautiful. And then when we left, we came back a little later, the tiger was still calm. So it's powerful energy touch. You know, there are many situations where you can't touch. If you have a dog that's too activated, too frightened or too angry, you know, too uh, stressed, you can't, you can't touch them at first. So I'm going to do energy touch until they're ready for physical touch. So then you've got humans, you can't touch them like the soldiers. I couldn't give them, I wanted to hug them all. Can't hug them all. Right. Can't hug any of them. (laughs) Not allowed. There was this one guy, he was like, this was, he was, uh, I can't, I can't remember if he was Samoan or Tongan, but just put it this way, you know, my head came up to his elbow, you know, I mean, big guy, right. And, uh, you know, I gave him a hug and it was just transformative for him. Everybody see that him get this hug because it was like, not the rules you can't hug. And I gave him a hug anyway. (laughs) Awesome. What is a good reminder for us? So I like to say, I come to my senses that's like a mantra that we can use. And it, even if you don't know how to do it or how you could possibly get there, just saying, I come to my senses and then, and then feel or see or hear or experience what that means for you. So just that the commitment, the desire, the intention to connect to your senses will begin to open it up and bring it more into your life. So if you just take a break, you know, one or two or three times a day and just say, I come to my senses and just in that moment, pick the sense that you want to focus on. It could be your sight, your sound, your taste, your touch, your feel, your energy healing, sensory system. It will bring you back. It happens pretty quickly when people choose to bring their senses back online. Even people who are very shut down can experience a wealth, a beautiful experience. I love that. I love that. Anything we can do to create more presence, right? Bring us right back here. Yeah. Not when I was two or whatever's going to happen in the future. Exactly. Because, you know, sometimes what happened when we were two was not so fun. So we need to be able to choose where our focus is, where our presence is, and to bring it right back here. And the senses are are one of the fast pathways back to presence. Wow. How did we forget this? <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have dogs in our life to remind us. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. That's right. <laughs> wonderful. Jean. Thank you so much for this. I mean, another wonderful episode. And Thank you. And 
you know, people, if, if you have questions, reach out. Oh, reach yeah. Reach out to Jeannie and she, yeah. she, she, she'll be more than happy to respond to you or, or Absolutely. myself. Please, Absolutely. please reach out. And however, we can help you and support you along this journey. Absolutely. We'll put all our information at the end uh, uh, so you can see our information and we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeannie. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Tiger. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, animals. Yes, thank all of them. Thank you, and Animal Kingdom. Yes, thank you for it all. And be wonderful, stay amazing people, and we'll see you soon. See you very soon, or hear you very soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human-Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, Musings on How to Create an Exceptional Life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand only on PetLifeRadio.com.